Well, good morning, church. Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Say that with me. Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. We didn't do that very well. I'm going to say, yes, he did. And then you're going to say, so, yes, he can. So, you got that? Your part. Yes, he did. There you go. I think we got it somewhat right. Um, now, you know, in response to that great song, it's a song that actually Cain uh, will be singing tonight, the group that's going to be here. So some of you have already got your red on for the concert tonight. Um, but, you know, our response to that great truth really forms the um, background for our sermon series, that Je- Jesus is greater. And because what he has done, he still can do. And our response to that is to worship God and to welcome his power and presence in our life is to surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice for him, or we can reject it. It's really that simple. We can celebrate it, worship this great truth, or we can say it's not for me. So it's my prayer that as you listen to this message and respond to this great worship, that we will say yes. He has done this in my life, and I know he can do it again and again and again. So let me just take a moment and say uh, a word to all of you here this morning. I have not been back here in the room, uh, sanctuary, since our church conference. And I've been sick for a couple weeks, actually, and good to be back. But I just want to thank you for showing up at the church conference and showing up and, and showing out, you know. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, the, the, the decision you made as a congregation uh, was overwhelming, And uh, what really blessed me the most was to see how much in alignment our lay leadership, our staff, and our congregation is, that there's a unity in our church. As we look forward to what God has next, that we're unified in that. I also want to thank you for being a part of this sermon series. We talked the first week about Jesus is greater than Adam, uh, the first Adam who, who sinned and fell short. And Jesus, who the second Adam, did not sin. And last week uh, in here, uh, Emma did a great job talking to us about Noah, uh, the rescuer, and that Jesus is greater. Uh, He is the ultimate rescuer. And today we're going to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. And in doing so, we're going to look at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. It reminds me of a story that I've told a few times in the past about the pastor who went over uh, at the request of one of his older members to plan her funeral. And uh, she wanted to go over everything and make sure everything was right, so he was taking notes. And this is the song that I want to sing at my funeral. These are the scripture verses I want you to read. These are the people I'd like to share a testimony about me. And he wrote it all down. He said, well, I think I've got everything. So there's, there's one more thing. And that's when I'm lying in the casket Uh, for the viewing, I want to have a fork in my hand. He said, all right. I'm not sure I understand the fork in the hand. He says, well, when we have these church dinners and we have these wonderful meals and they come and get my plate, they say, keep your fork because there's something better coming and there's some dessert coming here. And so she wanted everybody to know that she believed that something better was coming. We believe that, right, church? that there's something greater coming because we have a Savior who is great and wonderful. So I'm going to read uh, from Genesis chapter 22, 
the entire chapter, verses 1 through 18. If you're able, you're welcome to stand for the reading of God's Word. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac, pretty perceptive young man, turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And in a strong statement of faith, Abraham replied, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yara, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because... You have obeyed me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father God, as we spend this time in your word, this difficult passage, Lord, may we be found faithful. And Father God, may we obey your words. May we celebrate what you've done for your people through Jesus Christ. And may we invite you to do in us what only you can do. Give me the words to speak and give us ears to hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that's a long reading today, but I felt like we had to get the whole context of the story. The writer of Hebrews gives a much shorter version of this story from Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. When God was testing him, 
Abraham, who'd received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now, just like the story of Noah, where the flood came upon the earth and the judgment of God fell, it's a very difficult story. This is a troubling story. In, in our culture, we have no, no concept of, of sacrifices in regards to sacrificing an animal. And in the culture of Abraham, the other religions around where Abraham lived and, and uh, this story took place, there were religions that even sacrificed children. But the idea of taking a knife and cutting the throat of an animal for a sacrifice is foreign to us. But it's very much part of the Hebrew world. And, and it's where we get the familiar English word atonement. Atonement. Atonement means to cover up. To cover up the sins of the people through the blood shed in a sacrifice. Now, the English word for atonement is, is interesting. The English literally means at one at one And it's asking the question, how can we be at one with God as sinners? We have holy God and we have sinful people. And the Old Testament teaches that sin, whether intentional or unintentional, has consequences. And by sin, we mean when we walk away from the life that God would want us to live or walk apart from God's will for our lives. And the consequence is separation from God. Fellowship is broken. So how can those consequences be reversed? Holy God and sinful people. What must happen for us to be at one with God again? And in the Old Testament, it was through sacrifices. To underscore the need for atonement, that God's holiness demands a payment for the sins that have been committed. And God's mercy and God's grace provided a way for the sin to be atoned. Now, I love what Dr. Timothy Tennant says about this, and he's a much uh, smarter scholar than I am, so I want to read for you. It's going to be on the screen. He says, in the sacrificial systems, the priest were authorized to declare people forgiven. But it was in anticipation of a greater sacrifice by a greater high priest. The Old Testament could only temporarily cover up sins. It was like temporarily sweeping them under the rug. The blood of bulls and goats, declares the New Testament, could not really take sins away. It was a temporary arrangement. The priests were themselves sinners so it had to be repeated year after year. And that gives us the context of what's going on here in Genesis 22. That Abraham is to go and make a sacrifice to offer up an atonement for sin. And what's amazing in this story is Abraham's faithfulness. His willingness to lay down the person he loved the most. And that's really one of the challenges we face in this message. As people who are seeking to follow God, are we willing to let go of the person or the thing that we love the most in order to put God first in our lives, to demonstrate 
that we love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, that God is first. When I'm doing premarital counseling and uh, getting a couple ready for marriage, we always get into a conversation about their priorities and always instruct them based on what the Bible says and what I've learned in life and learned in marriage, that God has got to be first. And then the wife has got to be second. And for those of you with young children, those children are third, fourth, or fifth. And where so many times we get into trouble in marriages is that whether it's our family becomes before God and all the interests of our kids become before God. And then what I've found is that whenever you're not right with God, you cannot be right with your spouse and you cannot be right with your kids. And when we're right with God, we are, we, we are a much better spouse and we're a much better parent. And, and so Abraham's faithfulness, he's willing to let go and make God first in his life. It's a tremendous demonstration of faith. Even before God's promise has been revealed, even before God's promise has been realized, even before God's promise is ready. You know, the book of Romans talks about Abraham. It's uh, Romans uh, chapter 4. And uh, I love what it says in the message version. We call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. You know, Abraham was willing to be faithful. Abraham believed and, and did not live based on what he could see, but on, what, but on what God could do. And that's a real challenge in life for us to put our faith in. And that's what faith is. Faith is, is, is believing what we can't see and believing that God will provide. So we see Abraham's faithfulness, but also we see God's faithfulness. And this story that is shocking to us and that Abraham is willing to actually take his son and lay him on this altar, uh, upon this wood, and, and be prepared to sacrifice him. And then we see God's intervention, and we see God's faithfulness, and that two weeks ago, God provided a second Adam in Jesus, and God provided a rescuer in Jesus. And here God provides a sacrifice, and God provides a ram, and God provides a savior. God has provided what you and I need in our lives. God is a provider. God's faithfulness. Also in this story, God is rejecting child sacrifice. He is saying, I don't want you to sacrifice your children like other religions do. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it says, do not act this way toward the Lord your God. For these other nations, that they have done sinful acts, which the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire for their gods. Don't do that. You know, God is showing that he's not like the other gods who want costly and barbaric bribes in exchange for blessings. And so this is an important lesson for all of us not to surrender our children, not to sacrifice our children on an altar for the world. Don't, don't, don't turn your children loose to a world that wants to destroy them that wants to, to, to give them values and beliefs that are contrary to what God wants for them. And that's one of the greatest challenges today as we try to parent our children and our grandchildren and to give them Christian values. You know, tonight I'm excited that uh, 
uh, one of our grandchildren is going to be with us at the Cain concert. And because the Canes are a family of, of two sisters and a brother who have committed their lives to living for Christ and sharing their talent uh, for the Lord. And, and I want my granddaughter to see that. I want her to hear their story. I want, I want her to hear that there's people out there that are standing up for Jesus in a world where people are denying Jesus. We need to give our children those opportunities, but too often we want to sacrifice them on the altar of being accepted and whatever they want to do. We, we can't do that, folks. God wants a living sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. You know, Abraham says it in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. You know, this whole idea of provision is where we get the word, the, the, the word Jehovah Jireh. It's a, it's a Hebrew statement that God will provide. That our God inspects the situation and provides the best solution. Somebody say amen to that. Our God inspects the situation and provides the best solution. God saw the situation with Abraham. He saw that he was willing to lay his son on the altar. He inspected the situation and he provided the best solution by providing a ram whose horns were caught in a thicket so that ram could become the sacrifice. This is the God we serve. This is the God that cares about you, that inspects your situation and will provide what you need. Not always what we want, but what we need, which is really what we wanted anyway, right? If we will trust God, God will give us the needs, which is really ultimately what we want anyway. I love how Isaac points to Jesus, that God will provide a greater sacrifice. And Abraham got a glimpse that, that, that God was going to intervene and provide this sacrifice. But do you see the similarities? You know, if you look at Abraham and, and God the Father, that they both gave their only sons. Now, Isaac was the only son that Abraham and Sarah had, and, and he was willing to give him up. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and was willing to give up his only son. Both Isaac and Jesus were named by their father. God named Isaac, and God said, or the angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. They were both loved by their father. They both carried the wood for the sacrifice. They were both placed on the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac placed on the, the wooden altar, altar, Jesus placed on a wooden cross. But there's also some contrast in the story between Isaac and Jesus. The, I, Isaac didn't know he was about to be sacrificed. That's why he asked the question, hey, where, where's the lamb at? What's going to happen here? He didn't know he was going to be sacrificed, but Jesus knew he would be sacrificed. And that's why he anguished in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying, Father, is there any other lamb? Is there any other way? But then what did he say? In, 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 the, in the greatest sacrifice prayer that we've ever heard prayed and that we can ever pray, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. There's also a contrast that Abraham did not provide the lamb, but God provided the lamb for the sacrifice. God provided his only son. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. 
Now, as you look at the Old Testament, look at the New Testament, look at something greater is coming in Jesus Christ. The message of the Old Testament stays the same. The message that God loves his people, that God wants to have a covenant relationship with his people, that message is the same. The fact that God's people are sinful and need a sacrifice so they can be at one with God again. That, that message doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what changes is the method. The method changes. Again, going to Dr. Timothy Tennant, I want to read you what he says here. It's on the screens. When Jesus Christ came, he offered a final and complete sacrifice of himself. He was the only true, pure sacrifice. He was God's true high priest, not just a temporary agent, and he was truly without sin. His sacrifice was once for all and final and did not need to be repeated. He did not enter into a humanly constructed holy of holies, but into the very presence of God in heaven. So looking back, we see that the entire priesthood and the sacrificial system were but a shadow anticipating what was to come in a final and complete way in and through Jesus Christ. We have a new method, and it's a one-time sacrifice. The message is the same, but the method is different. Now, that really spoke to me, uh, and especially last Sunday, Lynn and I went to see a movie uh, called The Jesus Revolution. And if you've not seen it, I'm going to recommend you go see it. It is a strong movie, and I don't usually recommend movies. And for some of us in the room, uh, we can relate to it maybe better than some of, you, of the younger people in the room because it's in the 70s, my era, right? The 70s. It's about the hippies. It's about a group of young people, a large group of young people that were lost in this country, lost because they were chasing a drug culture, lost because they were chasing a sexual revolution, lost because they believed that truth was relative and you could believe whatever you wanted to believe and do whatever you wanted to do and there was no hope. Just go have a good time. Sound familiar? Sound a little bit like today? And yet the story is about how a pastor named Chuck Smith began to get a vision on how to reach this generation. And one of the things that my son said, who also loves the 70s, he said, Dad, what impressed me the most about this movie was it was a movie about hope. That just like God reached that generation, he says God can reach this generation. That we have a whole generation of young people that are searching for relative truth Young people in the midst of a sexual revolution about identity and everything else. Still a rampant problem of drugs in this country with opiate addiction. Can God reach this generation? I, I, I need to hear you say it, church. Can God reach this? Yes, he did. So yes, he can, right? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. It's a story about a pastor named Chuck Smith who who was in a small church, and this is where it got emotional for me because in a very small way, I could see our story. I could see Lynn and I's story in, in this story. And in this little church that the people in the church, about half of them didn't want these hippies to come to their church. 
because they were afraid they're going to be a negative influence on their kids. And it was not how you should do church. You shouldn't have people with long hair in church and people wearing no shoes in church and people sitting on the floor in church. And so if you look at the movie, about half of the congregation left because that was not what church was supposed to be. But Chuck Smith was brave enough and courageous enough as a pastor to push forward and founded a movement called the Calvary Chapel Movement that expanded and reached thousands and thousands and thousands of these lost teenagers, lost college students searching for truth. And out of that came uh, a young man who went on to become a revival, an evangelist and lead revivals. Uh, and just go see the movie. It's a great movie. It reminded me about 29 years ago that Mount Horeb changed its method but didn't change the message. See, Chuck Smith changed the method, but he didn't change the message. It was the same message of the New Testament gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this church, 29 years ago, many of you in this room were willing to change the method to reach a generation and to reach a community. And I remember the first Sunday we had drums up there in the chapel. I remember that there were some of you that gave me, not, well, maybe not any of you, but, that, uh, but we, got some, we got some strange looks that morning, and I thought, this is going to be a mistake. You know, this is going to fail. But we persevered and began to reach a generation. I remember when we started an 8 o'clock service, and because we had run out of room in that little chapel, and I told a, a, a guy that had just started coming to our church, and he was really being ministered to. And I said, hey, we're going to start an 8 o'clock service. Won't you come to it? He said, no, 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 I'm not an early morning person. I think this is a mistake. And, uh, but okay, so we had about 20 people that came that first Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And, and this person came. And uh, later that week, I called him and said, what, what did you think about the 8 o'clock service? He said, I told you it was a mistake. There was only 20 people there, and your wife didn't even come. You know? <laughs> And uh, I said, well, she came to the later service. Oh, you kept the later service? I thought you were going to do with everything. No, 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 no. So it was just, it just those kind of changes that this church is willing to make. And, and, and the people at Mount Horror 29 years ago were willing to give up their parking place, willing to give up their favorite pew, and make room for people to come. And still today, we see that happening. And across the, the, the aisle over there, across the, uh, the way, there's, a, there's another service going on that is louder. And the lights are brighter. But it's reaching a bunch of people. And I want to thank you for supporting that. I want to thank you for saying, hey, the message is not going to change, but the method might need to evolve, right? And again, on that church conference two weeks ago, three weeks ago, on February 26th, we made a decision as a church to leave the United Methodist Church. Our method is going to change, but the message is not going to change, right? The same message we have as a church will be the same message we have going forward. You know, Jesus is willing to change the method without changing the message. Now, I want to 
spend a little bit of time unpacking something for you real quickly. Going back to the very beginning of the uh, of Genesis and, and, and then really in Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. You know, Abraham wasn't tempted to sacrifice Isaac. He was tested to sacrifice him. So what is the difference between being tested and being tempted? It's important that we know the difference between those two things. You know, God tests us to take our faith to the next level. God tested Abraham to take his faith to the next level. Satan tempts us to take away our faith. Satan always tempts you to take away your faith. God will test you to take your faith to another level. You know, again, going back to Mount Horeb 29 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we had a bunch of tests along the way. And God has taken the faith of this church to another level and to the glory of God. Amen? Satan tempts to cause failure, and God tests us to reveal faithfulness. You know, simply put, Satan tempts us to prove that we're not who God says we are, and God tests us to prove we're exactly who he says we are so that we can know that we are his. And one of the main difference between a test and a temptation is the one doing it. God will not tempt you. God will allow you to be tested. And all of us here probably can testify to that, right? Those tests and trials that, that increase our character, that increase our faith, and give us the courage to step out. Jesus' sacrifice is greater. His sacrifice is greater. And I want to give you just in closing some reasons why his sacrifice is greater. The first, and, and really Abraham begins to see this whenever God provides this ram, you know, caught in a thicket. You know, we can even go there and say a word about the thicket that around the horns of this ram were some thorns and around the head of Jesus was a crown of thorns, right? And, and so it's, the sacrifice is greater that Jesus made because it was promised. Isaiah and many of the other prophets said, this is going to happen, that I'm going to send a Messiah, a Savior, who will be crushed for your sins. He'll be punished so you can have peace. He will be beaten so you can be healed because all of us like sheep have gone astray and the Lord will put on him the sin of us all. Promised. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, it was promised by God. Also, Jesus' sacrifice is greater because his is a perfect sacrifice. In Hebrews 7, he is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He had been set apart from sinners and given the highest place of honor in heaven. A perfect sacrifice. Greater because Jesus Christ is a permanent sacrifice. That he has paid the penalty for sins past and your sins today. When you prayed a few minutes ago, the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive us our trespass, trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Presently, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you're forgiven. At the, in a few minutes, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And if you have sins that you're struggling with, that because of what Jesus Christ has done, the permanent sacrifice, your sins can be forgiven today. But not just today, your sins will be forgiven tomorrow. Because there's a good chance that in the next 24 hours or 48 hours, you and I are going to need to pray, Father, forgive me. And Jesus' sacrifice covers your sins, permanent. 
I love what Hebrews 10 says, but our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And now he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf. A permanent sacrifice. And then Jesus' sacrifice is greater because it provides the ransom that we need. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. Abraham thought he had to give his son as a sacrifice. He didn't. You may think, hey, I've got to give this to God, give this to God, give this to God, do this for God, do this for God, so he will forgive me. You don't. You don't. He has already done it for you. It's a permanent sacrifice that covers your sins. Today, you can walk out of here as a new person, a free person from your sins because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's good news, isn't it? We worship him because, yes, he did. Yes, he can. And then last of all, I want to tell you that this sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you and for me is greater because it's personal. It's personal. It's for you. You know, those priests in the Old Testament would go and make a sacrifice for the nation, for all the people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world, that whoever believes. Every one of you today, Jesus Christ died for you. It's personal. First Peter says it this way, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days, it's been revealed for your sake. Your sake. My sake. It's personal. And so the question is, what's going to be our response to this incredible gift that God has given us? Many of you have already responded today by worshiping him, by singing, yes, he did, so yes, he can. You've trusted God. You've been obedient. And, and when we, this happens for us, because of what he's done for us, we, we need to surrender and sacrifice ourselves for him. Romans 12:1, Paul says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Do you hear that? Not to get him to do something for you, but because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So it's, it, it's a matter, our response, like Abraham, is to surrender and to sacrifice and, and to begin to live a life of faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness. Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Blaise Pascal was a famous French philosopher, a mathematician, and he talked about faith this way. He says, you know, faith is a wise wager. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will come to you if you gamble on faith and it turns out to be false? What have you lost? But if faith is real, what have you gained? You've gained it all. You see, Abraham was willing to give it all, and he found everything because God intervened. 
Today, will you have the faith of a mustard seed? You know, the, 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 the verse that has guided my ministry was a verse that was given to a friend of I, David Cheeks and I, when we were in college. And it was at uh, Sweetwater Branch Baptist Church on 544 outside of Conway. We went there one Sunday from Kentucky, went to the beach for a few days, then went to that church to worship. And he gave us this verse, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't please him without faith. Abraham pleased God by putting all of his faith in God. Today, will you please God by putting your faith in him? It's an invitation. We're going to sing a great classic song. It's a great hymn called Jesus Paid It All. Yes, he did. Amen? And yes, he can today for you.